Well, currently we're in a series that's based on a book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, the writer of the book, is not really known. But we know that the writer is, is basing his writings on the teaching of Solomon. And Solomon is the son of David. And Solomon is the king of Israel. And he's been given great wisdom by God. So he's known as the wisest man on earth. And from the wisdom of Solomon, we will look at ourselves through this series and take a moment to see how our lives are, are going and take, to take moments to stop and think about our lives and evaluate how we are doing in particular areas that Solomon touches in Ecclesiastes. Now, the last time I spoke, I was talking about the pleasures that we experience in this world. And oftentimes, the folly of pleasure if we take our pleasures to an excess or become addictive over them. Well, today, we're going to see what Solomon has to say about work. And, and I had this, this conversation a few years back with a, a young adult in my, in my home group. And he had just been out of school, out of college, for maybe a few years. And he had a very good job. And, and he was having this moment of reflection. And actually, in some ways, he was calling it his own midlife crisis. And apparently, midlife happens a lot earlier nowadays. Uh, it happens maybe at 25. A lot of career people, who I call young kids, fresh out of college, first, first job, and they have this crisis after two or three years of working. And, and my friend and my home group was saying, you know, I just realized that my life has become a rat race, meaning I'm like that hamster trapped in that spinning wheel. He says, I get up in the morning, go to work, stay at work late, come home, eat, then I go to sleep. And then I get up in the morning and do the same thing again, over and over and over again. And he looked at me and he said, is this what I'm going to expect for the rest of my life? And I looked at him and smiled and said, yeah, welcome to the real world, guy. <laughs> and it just gets more complicated if you have a family and you do the same routine over and over again. But that's what life is about, and that's what life we have to deal with when we are working people. For many of us, work will be a majority of our lifetime. That's a reality. Ideally, we should enjoy our work, but often many of us do not. Matter of fact, some of us even hate our jobs. And it's kind of funny that even as you begin your job, a lot of people, if they're honest, start thinking about retirement. Many of you are in that state, same state. How do we change that mindset? How do we find joy in our work? And then if so, by finding joy in our work, find essentially joy in life. How can we change that perspective? And that's why we're going to look into Ecclesiastes 2. And today we are going to look together at the, the stop and think moments that Solomon presents to us. So if you have your Bibles, I want us to go to Ecclesiastes 2. And we're going to look at verses 18 to 26. So beginning with verse 18, I read. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toil and use my wisdom under the sun. 
This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. And that is the word of the Lord. So just to start off, originally, um, God did not intend work to be bad. Back in, in, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in the story from Genesis, work was just normal. It was actually a good thing. It was paradise. Adam and Eve were meant to oversee the world and creation. They were to manage it on behalf of God. But unfortunately, sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating the fruit from the forbidden tree, and God punished them after that, that they would now have to work hard, that work would be really difficult, actually very painful. God cursed the ground that Adam would have to work with sweat and tears to get food from the ground. Before, God would just give them food, but now Adam would have to grow it himself and work hard to be able to do that. So essentially, because of that sin entering into the world, the disobedience by Adam and Eve, we today have to work hard. So work for us is not as easy as it was intended by God. For many of us today, we know that work is very practical and is very necessary. We need to work to be able to earn money to survive. Right? The basic needs to be able to feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, house, house ourselves. And if you have a family, especially you have responsibilities then to take care of your children, um, your, your spouse. We essentially earn money to take care of our children's education. We have to save for our own retirement. And for some of us, we have to also then maybe take care of our elderly parents. Among many things that we have to to, to save for, that's what work is for. And that's a very practical thing. But that requires a lot of toil, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears going into our work. And of course, by working, we do, if we are blessed by circumstances, we are often rewarded fairly well for what we do. We get to enjoy certain pleasures in this world because of the work we do. But, of course, we have to be careful that work for certain needs is okay, but if we start to take work to intentionally go after certain luxuries in life, to chase after certain extravagant things in this world, work as a good and necessary thing 
then soon becomes something that can be very bad and harmful to ourselves, not only physically and emotionally, but of course spiritually. Now from Ecclesiastes 2 verses 18 through 26 that I just read, that passage, Solomon gives us four what I call stop and think moments. And the first one I see here is is no matter how hard you work for earthly rewards, you can't take it with you when you die. I mean, that's a kind of common sense thing. All the toys that we gather in this life, we can't take it with us the moment we stop breathing. In this context, for Solomon, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all of which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to me enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. So this is kind of a really strong statement that Solomon is saying here. Verse 18, he says, I hate all my toil. He says, I hate my work. I hate life. And and for, for what specific reason is he hating his work? He says, I work really hard, and I have to then end up giving it to somebody else. I mean, often that is a reality for many of us. And, and in this particular context, um, Solomon is, is talking about his own family. He's talking about his son, Rehoboam. And, and when Solomon is musing over this and, and, and writing and preaching about this to his community, he doesn't know the future, but he knows his son Rehoboam is not the brightest candle in the room. He's kind of a fool. And, and history will prove biblically that Rehoboam wastes all the, the inheritance that, that Solomon gives to him. He weakens the nation of Israel to such a, such a state that the Egyptians come and capture the nation of Israel and take away all of the national treasures. So in some ways, Solomon was aware that his son was not going to be a very good king. And he was looking at this, that all the stuff that I have worked hard for is going to go to a fool who's going to waste it. Well, bringing it back to ourselves, a lot of us are in a certain life stage where, where we've been fortunately blessed in the past that we often have to write up these living trusts so that our assets are, are transferred to the next generation. And there are, there are studies showing that currently the wealth, there is going to be the most tremendous amount of wealth going to be transferred from this generation to the next that has not been seen in, in past centuries. And, and as, as anyone who's gone through a living trust, you can make all the the rules and conditions uh, as much as you can, but essentially it's not really under your control because once it's bequeathed away, 
your children or whoever is going to be the beneficiaries can do with whatever they want with what you have given them. And that's the reality of, uh, of life. We work hard, get stuff, and it ends up being transferred to other people for their, their gain and whatever they do. One of the things uh, as a pastor, I have the privilege of being able to walk alongside families who have lost a loved one. And I get to do uh, uh, memorial services. And, and when there's a death, uh, especially a death in the family or any death in, in, in our circles, it often is a time where we, we reflect on our own lives. Our own mortality comes to the forefront. And we look at what really matters in life. And, and one of the things that we come to realize in, in, uh, in my conversations with people who are nearing death not too many people say, I wish I had spent more time at work. I wish I had made more money. When you're on a deathbed, often that is not the thing that's going coming to mind. Oftentimes, the thing that, that we are thinking about more so is, I wish I had spent more time with people I cared about. I wish I hadn't worked so much time that I missed out on opportunities to be with my children. Jesus warns us about this in the parable of the rich fool, and we see this in Luke 12, verses 15 to 21. Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Clearly stated by, by Jesus that our life is not measured by the abundance of our possessions. In verse 16, he says, He told them through a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Right there, Jesus is, is relating to even today, where a lot of us continuously break, uh, build new homes that are bigger than the previous homes. And they end up being filled with more and more stuff. Just that, that habit of accumulating and hoarding and I say to my soul soul you have ample goods laid up for my for many years relax drink and be merry but God said to this man fool this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be so is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God the parable the rich fool is is warning us that this, this idea that we can create our own safety and, and self-sufficiency by saving and hoarding and that we build bigger barns to hold these things. But who knows what the future may hold? You can just step across the street and get hit by a car and that's it. And all that you had stored and, and desire to use of all your things you have collected will not be yours anymore. Uh, a couple of weeks, the last message, I shared something that was happening on the internet, uh, a story that reappeared about this Singapore doctor who's a cosmetic surgeon. And, and he was uh, in this video sharing his experience because he had experienced great success. He had been taught that happiness comes through success and being successful means being rich and being rich 
gives you all kinds of privileges and experiences of pleasure. But at the age of 39, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And a year later, he passed away. And during that year where he was going through chemotherapy, he was going around speaking at medical schools and dental schools, and he was talking to future doctors. And he's telling them, don't get blinded by all the success. Don't go through life looking and chasing for more and more money. Because that, in the end of the day, doesn't mean anything. And in his particular case, the things that he realized that were most important in his life was relationships. People who really cared and, and, and really loved him. And that's what life is about. It's not the things that we have. It's about the relationships we have. Death is the great, is the great equalizer. No matter how rich you are, how smart you are, how beautiful, famous, how well-connected, everybody dies eventually. And that's what Solomon is telling us here to stop and think about. No matter how hard you work for earthly rewards, you can't take it with you when you die. So why do it? Why chase after these things? I have a personal um, experience of this when... um, Terry, my wife and I, we had an opportunity to travel in the Holy Land. And when we were in, in Jordan and Israel, we get to see a lot of ruins and a lot of ancient sites. And the curious thing about them, uh, what our tour guide was telling us is that um, this enamor of, of, of historical sites and about ancient uh, uh, ruins or even artwork that we store in museums, these things can only happen through great generosity, meaning uh, charitable foundations or very wealthy people can do this. Because he said most common people, actually a lot of nations, don't care about these things. There's a saying that one man's Treasure is another, or actually, one man's trash is another man's treasure. That's the common saying. I flip it around. In the Middle East, they say one man's treasure is another man's trash. That when you go and see these ruins, they tell us that they told us that when conquering nations come and see someone's palace, they just tear it down or they destroy it and they build on top of it. So that's what archaeologists often see: is these. Uh, amazing structures that were there at one time, they just get destroyed. Somebody thought they were really nice to have and to memorialize themselves, monuments. Conquering nations just come and just tear them down or they get burned down or destroyed by nature. And, And people just don't care to rebuild it. They just build on top of it. And that's kind of the essence of what Solomon is saying here is that Why are we always trying to memorialize ourselves with certain monuments when other people don't care? Once you're gone, do you have no control that these things will be destroyed? Jesus gives us a new way of thinking, and he he says this in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus speaks about that, is that why do we build these, mom- these monuments on earth? They're, they're going to just be rusted. They're going to be eaten by moths. I mean, that happens, right? A lot of times I do that same thing. I, I, I have a favorite food that I, that I, I kind of hide from the rest of my family. But by the time I get to it, and, or I remember I, I hit it, it's spoiled. So it's better just to eat it all at one time and forget about it, right? So Jesus says here, lay up treasures in heaven. We, what does that mean? If we don't lay treasures on earth, he's implying we should be laying treasures in heaven. So here at, at, at CLC, we have been emphasizing a principle of living simply and giving generously. Very simple thought, but to live simply, to be able to then give generously. And this is a way that will be pleasing to God. Because if we are to work, and if to work for what purpose? The purpose is not to satisfy all of our cravings. But then, what is work for if going after pleasures or excessive pleasures is damaging to us? Then what will, what will be the true purpose of, of work? Well, we see this in, in the New Testament church in Acts 2, where all that people have is to be shared with others. That's one way our work is intended is to be able to share with others who are in need. And that's what Ephesians 4, verse 28 says from the Apostle Paul. He teaches this, that the purpose of work, that a person should be doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Right? That brings a noble purpose to work, not to, to satisfy myself. We do need our own needs to be taken care of, but there are a lot of things that are excessive and we don't really need. And that's why uh, when Christine went to Vietnam and, and she sees all the needs there, those are kind of things that our abundance can be useful in supporting those overseas, overseas who, who, who do not have as much as we do. Not only working for stuff meaningless, work can also causes to be anxious and stressed. And that's what Solomon says next. And this is the next stop and, and think moment. And we see this in verses 22 to 23. That, that stressing about work does no good. So here's again. Stressing about work does no good. Verse 22 says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. In those two verses, essentially, um, Solomon is saying that oftentimes our work, especially if you're working hard, causes us a lot of trouble. He uses the word, gives us sorrow, says his work is vexation, and he says his heart does not rest. That means he can't sleep at night. Vexation means annoyed, he's frustrated, and he's worried. Now, I know a lot of you out there, 
And I often hear that's your experience from your work. That a lot of you are stressed from the kind of demands that your jobs are, are asking you today. The work environment today is so different than years past. There was a time, and I'm old enough to know, that weekends were free for everybody. Nobody worked Saturdays or Fridays, uh, Saturdays or Sundays. And by Friday, you could leave work at the office. It was strictly Monday through Friday. That was the case years back. But that's not the case today. Today, work schedules have changed where boundaries of space and time have been distorted and abused. There was a time when everyone had weekends that were free. And when you left the office, the work does not follow you home. But today, because of what we call advancement in technology, with email, cell phones, video chats, those lines of the workplace have been distorted. And now companies have an expectation that employees should be accessible 24-7. And that kind of pace, that kind of expectation is going to kill us. Um, One of my friends here in the church found himself in a very toxic work situation where work was demanding literally seven days a week. And and to, to not put in anything less than that would not be tolerable. It was a fire, fireable kind of offense. And under, that, under those conditions, he was beginning not to be able to eat. He was losing weight. He was being stressed to the point that his blood pressure was rising and he knew his health was not good. He couldn't sleep because he was so stressed out. And to get out of that situation, what was he going to do? Quit? He had bills to pay, mortgage, family to support. And, and to tr- transfer to or find a new job at his age is not an easy thing to do in a competitive world where companies are looking for younger, cheaper labor. But he knew he was going to die. He was dying. And this is the thing that, 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 that Jesus tells us. Don't worry. Be happy. Because God has you covered. In Matthew 6, verses 31, 34, Jesus tells this, tells this to us. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek, seek after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Now, Jesus tells us that. Very comforting words. To trust God, because he will provide for our needs. But that's really hard to do in real life, right? A lot of us have that difficulty of trusting those words that Jesus tells us. To not worry. Don't be anxious. God will know what you will need. And it takes a leap of faith from a lot of us to be able to do that. But I will tell you that in my own experience, that worry doesn't do anything. It just makes it worse. So stop worrying. 
and trust more in God. Turn that energy to trust God. And over and over again, I know in my own life, God has been faithful and delivered me from challenges that, that worry was not going to do anything more. But trusting God to provide, he will. And in my friend's case, and in, in his thing where he thought he was trapped, he made that step of faith to trust God. And, and one was that he refused to work on Sundays so that he would at least have a Sabbath to come and worship God. I mean, that is always the case that the world wants us to deny the Sabbath, the day of rest, the day that we have set aside for the Lord. And nations, even in, in the Bible, Israel backtracked on their faith when they denied the Sabbath. And God continually over and over again reminded his people to take that day off. And essentially that was a day that we, we honor God, but also trust that he would provide. And so when we do that, God will come through. And for my friend, he did find another job and he is now in a better place. But it does take us to that um, step of, of believing the promises that, that God gives us, but also trusting in him. There is nothing to worry about if we believe what Jesus told us in Matthew 6, if we trust in God ultimately. And Solomon, continuing in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, says more about God if we trust him. This stop and think moment, he says in verses 24 to 25, that you can't truly enjoy life unless you enjoy God. Again, you can't find enjoyment in life true enjoyment unless you first find enjoyment in God. Verse 24 says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, speaking God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment. So if you, if you just read verse 24, you could misinterpret Solomon saying, yeah, Life is hard, work is hard, so go out there, drink, eat, and be merry. That's the whole meaning of life. Unfortunately, that's not what Solomon is saying here, because right after that in verse 25, Solomon tells us that even enjoyment is from the hand of God. That for us to be able to enjoy things, we have to have a relationship with God. God has to help us to be able to enjoy things in life. Enjoyment does not come from work or things. Don't get me wrong. We can enjoy work. We can enjoy food. We can enjoy things and possessions, but all of those kinds of joy are only short-lived. We all know that. Things that we desire, things we crave, once we get them, we want more. And we want more and more and more. That's the case of pleasures in this world. I think I used that metaphor before of like drugs. You take a certain drug, your body begins to build resistance and the threshold rises and you need to have more and more of the drug. And that's the same thing with certain things that we enjoy in our life. We want more and more. But there comes a point where our bodies can't take it. We overdose and it kills us. But there is one thing that we cannot overdose on, that we cannot have enough of, 
and that's God. That enjoyment of God has no limit. And having that, that is a worthy passion and thing to chase after. Because having more of God in you will bring more joy in your life. And more joy in your life will then put everything else in perspective as to how to enjoy it. So our enjoyment is not in the things that we have. And our enjoyment should be from God so that we can enjoy these things. It's kind of a subtle thought there. We can enjoy many things, but our enjoyment must come from God. Finding joy in God gives us freedom to enjoy life, including work. That can be very hard, trying, frustrating, life-sucking, and even joy-killing. But true joy comes from God, and it comes through his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In John 15, verse 11, Jesus tells us, These things I have spoken to you, meaning his commands and his instructions, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, that it may be complete. And in Romans 14, Apostle Paul says in chapter 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace. And here, I want you to notice these next few words. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That your relationship with Jesus Christ comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings you joy. And Solomon makes this conclusion. That, that pleasing yourself is a dead end. And pleasing God has eternal reward. And we see this in verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he has given to the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. What essentially Solomon is talking about here is that when we go through life, if you're apart from God, it's a dead end. There's no escape. A lot of us have, have gone through those, um, those fields or, or gardens or like mazes. And the object is you enter in and then you try to get out of there as quickly as possible. But through these gardens um, or cornfields, it's a maze. And sometimes we end up going and finding ourselves in a dead end. And then you have to turn around and, and try to find your way out. Well, life can be that. And a life without Jesus Christ can then eventually lead you at your death to a dead end. That's it. No, no future. But what Solomon is saying here, there's a, a different path. That for those who please God, there comes a reward. And that reward is an eternal reward. That according to Solomon, the goal in life is to please God because God will give us reward. And from these verses, it speaks of three things. It says wisdom, knowledge, and joy are rewarded to those who please God. And, and this wisdom and knowledge, and especially this joy, are not the human kind. It's not things that we can gain from our own, by our own selves. It's only something that God can give you. It is wisdom from God. It is knowledge of, from God. And especially joy from God. And as in Romans, it's about joy from the Holy Spirit. And these things about wisdom and knowledge, sadly, or maybe not sadly, but it's a reality that this kind of knowledge and wisdom that comes from God 
comes only through hardship and suffering. That the toil and the hard work, the pain and the suffering, God sees that. But through that experience, he will give us these rewards of godly wisdom and godly knowledge. And, and this joy to escape all this suffering that comes through the Holy Spirit. And we understand what joy is, right? Joy can happen even in the midst of suffering or difficulties. It brings peace and comfort during a time where we're struggling. It's kind of an oxymoron, but that's what joy is. Joy happens in spite of the circumstances. It's different from happiness. Happiness depends on happenstances, on circumstances, but joy doesn't. And so when we're going through suffering, the thing that we want is peace and comfort. And that is a representation of the feeling of joy. But we have to remind ourselves too that for those who follow Jesus, those who embrace and abide with God, that joy may not come fully here on earth. Joy may only come in the next life. And that's the reward that our time here on earth is, is really only a very small blip in eternity. But unfortunately, in our own scheme of things, we think our life here is the big deal. And we, st- we spend a lot of time worrying, thinking about stuff here, and we forget that God gives us a promise of a future with him in heaven that is in, et- in eternity. And if you don't please God, there is a warning here by Solomon. He implies that all that you have gained, all that you have collected, does not please God, but actually will be given to someone else. To someone else is people who please God. So it's, I don't think believe here he's saying that your stuff is going to be transferred to someone else, other than what he earlier, uh, Solomon was talking about that your possession is going to be transferred to the next generation. So yes, there is some truth there. But here, I think what Solomon is implying here is that the reward, the ultimate reward is eternal life for those who don't please him. Those who do not follow Jesus, you're not going to get that reward. That reward goes to those who do please him. And so what, so you may ask the question, how are we then to please God? Is it the things we do? Is it our works? Well, I don't think so. Because nothing we can do can earn that kind of, of place with God to, to have God see that we are good in his eyes. So how do we do this then? Well, we can only do this through the God's son, Jesus, who went to the cross so that he can accomplish this, this feat of making us look good in the eyes of God. And we only can do that through Jesus. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, Jesus being the person who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When God sees us, and I say this over and over again, he doesn't necessary to see us in all our brokenness. For those of us who have taken Jesus personally as our own Savior, God looks down at us and he sees his son Jesus in us. 
And it is the righteousness of Jesus that now clothes us so that we can now be seen as good in the eyes of God. Life with Jesus means the Holy Spirit will change us to be able to love God, love people, and serve the world. So not to be righteous by our own works, but our good works come naturally as a result of our changed lives. So how do we know our works matter in a godly way and not self-serving? And that's a hard thing to, to, to discern for ourselves, but it is a practical thing to realize that if we are put in, on earth for a reason, and if we follow Jesus and want to glorify God, to bring glory to God, not ourselves, then we should be able to evaluate the things we do, whether or not they are going to be pleasing to God. And something that I learned um, last week at Pastor Wayne Okamachi came, and he, he actually um, shared some great words. But something I learned from him, something that he's, he said over and over again, the things that, a way to measure things in our own life is to make sure whatever we do, if these three things happen. The first thing is God seen. The second thing is are people loved? And the third thing is there an opportunity for life change to happen? God be seen, people feel loved, life changed. And if we take those three things and and those three questions and measure everything that we do, whether we, when we're hosting a party, a dinner with friends, coworkers, when we're at our workplaces, our school places, and we're interacting with other people, when we're doing our ministries, when we're in a mission field, serving other people, in what we're doing, are we making efforts to make sure God is seen? And the second thing, are people really, really feeling loved? And because of what you're doing or what's happening, is there life change? Because that's what we're in the business of, improving the life of other people, to add value to them. If those three things are happening, then I believe we will be truly pleasing God. Work is necessary, can be hard enough so that uh, work, when we do work, make sure we do it for the right reasons and not the wrong ones. And pleasing yourself is a dead end, but pleasing God is an eternal reward. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are uh, a gracious God, one who is patient and kind, one who is slow to anger. We are thankful that you forgive us for when we walk astray. And oftentimes in this world, we can do that because there are many voices, there are many things that shine brighter in our minds. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to hear your voice, which often is a gentle, quiet one, And you give us free will to choose. So I pray that we will all choose wisely. That we would heed the warnings, these stop and think moments from Solomon. That especially in the area of our work, something that monopolizes much of our life, that we would see in our work things that can be done that will please you and not ourselves. So Lord, you are one who gave us your son Jesus so that we are be able to be empowered to be able to do this. So we thank you for Jesus, who is the one and truly um, precious gift that you have given to us. So I thank you in his name. Amen.